Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Pod- Podcast. This week is episode 164 and episode 2 of The Well of Ascension. We are entering part 2. We did the entirety of part 1 last week. We're doing half of part 2 this week. Paul, how are you? Fantastic. Um, we're getting some pretty exciting stuff. There's a lot of mystery in this book, which I'm excited to talk about with you all um, and really get Elliot's thoughts a lot on this one. So I- I'm excited to get get started. Elliot, how are you? I'm doing great. I have lots of thoughts to share and questions as usual. And my brain really wants to call this Well of Ascension Part 2, Part 1, <laughs> since we'll do the second half of it next. Mistborn Book 2, Part okay. 2, Part 1? Yeah, correct. I think that's it. Sounds great. Let's go ahead and roll intro, and then we'll get a summary of events from Elliot. All right, Elliot, uh, what happens in Mistborn Book 2, Part 2, Part 1? Alrighty. So part two, roughly the first half of part two, we covered chapters 12 through 18 this time. And we see a a fair amount of stuff, maybe a little bit slower than some other chapters. Sazed and Marsh sneak into an Inquisitor lair with lots of creepy things in it. Yes. We have several encounters with mist beings or mist spirits vin goes chasing after the one that's that's hanging around her and then Sezed sees some weird stuff and comes across a village that seems to have been terrorized by the mist in a more physical way than maybe we've seen before we get a new character showing up on the scene tindwill no idea if i'm pronouncing that right but a new uh terrace woman coming to give ellen some king lessons which he's taking Sort of, kind of well, I guess. Uh, what else happens here? Ah, we find out who the Watcher is. The Watcher is Zane, who I'm very interested to talk with you guys about. We get a couple of encounters with him, and then we get to be in his head for a brief amount of time, which is rather, rather strange. And we get to see an interaction between Zane and a Straff Venture that caps off kind of the first half of the part. So some, uh, yeah, secrets more secrets there's always another secret is the line so i had to throw it in there the i I need to i need to talk about the inquisitor keep first because i did not remember this from my previous read and so as i was listening to this and then re-listening to it again today at work i was very creeped out this is not what it probably what elliot you've come to expect in a sanderson book um to find this type of grim dark influence we we saw a we, we saw hints of it in the first mistborn book but i feel like especially with this episode we get quite a few scenes where it they're they're not pretty like an adaptation of this movie could easily go rather graphic rather quickly 
I think that was pretty apparent whenever we first see Inquisitors and their whole thing is they have spikes in their eyes. You know, I feel like that's pretty gruesome right out of the gate. Um, honestly, what sends it home to me, you know, I don't think of Sazed as necessarily like our most rugged and brave character, but he's very knowledgeable, right? Very smart, knows a lot about the world. And he was completely like, oh, I don't want to really want to stick around here at all. You know, I think it's time for me to leave. I don't, I don't want to learn about this, you know, which uh, I feel like goes a long ways. Yeah, when he gets into the, the, it's like the basement of the place and he's trying to do the, the etching, the, the rubbing, the copy of the inscription that he finds, like the, the tension had been so like ratcheted at that point that I'm just like bracing for something to jump out of the wall and just like eat his face off. I was, I was on, on edge a little bit. It's just Marsh. Marsh is just the one that's being the creepy yeah. one coming down the stairs without a sound. And to be fair, the dude's pretty creepy, right? Like you just said, Paul, he's got spikes through his eyes. Like if I knew if I he was if I called him my friend, I'd still be pretty freaked out if he tapped me on the shoulder in the middle of a dark keep. I feel like it, it's not written out explicitly like this, but I feel like Sazed's kind of on the same train of needs to keep reminding himself that no, Marsh is Marsh is my friend. Like I I can trust him, even though he's the creepy nail in the head dude in the creepy nail in the head palace but this guy's on my side but before we go into maybe what this place is i do gotta say marsh say said maybe even says this marsh seems different marsh seems a bit different than when we last saw him from book one or from part one book one the last book okay we only we only briefly saw him in the beginning of this book right right like really briefly i'm trying to can't remember now i his mannerisms seem a little bit different he was always kind of i don't know quite the way stoic isn't quite the the name perhaps maybe kind of hard-edged tough guy very set in his ways he seems a little angrier even in this one like his temper seems shorter it inquisitorness has not suited him so well i don't think i'm I'm basing this off of maybe not so much interaction here in just this one chapter but something seemed a little bit off to the guy for me yeah and i agree with you he still verbally condemns like the inquisitors and the steel ministry and all of like he acknowledges that the the keep is creepy and let's get out of here like he he's the one that vocalizes that before says it does and but but yes, he's acting a little strange. He he even at one point goes upstairs to like the Inquisitor living oh, yeah. quarters and says, yeah. Hey, don't follow me. And then says it's like, why not? And I'm not convinced about his explanation. He says, it, it's okay if or, or, I want you to see the the atrocities of the Inquisitors, I just don't want to be with you when you do. So I don't want to be in the same room as you. And so he goes upstairs. What? <laughs> I'm confused. Same. Yeah, I, I feel like, honestly, a lot of what's set up is just, like, the the mystery of it, the mystery to us of 
what is going on. And like this whole time, I keep thinking about like, you know, we see how uneasy of a setting it is. Like, obviously, it is visually a horrifying place. Like, like it's, you can tell there's a lot of blood and pain and metal. I don't know. Like, it seems, it seems really scary. And, but the, the, one of the scariest things about it is I feel like that we don't understand what, what happens there. Right. You know, we know, we know it's not pleasant, but we don't know exactly what it entails. And so I think that's really daunting. Um, I, if there's, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Trevor. Throughout this episode, I was just surprised at how many bodies we see. Sazed sees so many bodies between chapter 12 and chapter 16 that, which, I guess minor Stormlight spoilers if you haven't read the series yet, it would not be dwelled on in a Stormlight book. Like, yes, there's death, yes, there's sorrow, and even like corruption and creepiness in Stormlight, it, but it's not dwelt upon like it is in this book. Uh, like I was, I was listening to these chapters and the, the amount of detail and description that's gone into about rotting flesh is not zero. Like it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And they even like started talking about the like caked and dried blood that covered everything. And as they walked, it like crunched and crinkled between their feet. Like, yeah, stuff like that. That's just like, Oh man, it's, I, I asked Brandon for more, you know, sensory descriptions of things. We got some here in this chapter. I'm, Maybe regretting my my uh, my ask, but it was, this was it was a very interesting chapter. I actually it w- it wasn't as bothersome to me as maybe some of the massacre scenes we got in the in the previous book. Okay. Actually, okay. By previous book, do you mean book one, as opposed to Yumi? Yes. <laughs> Correct. Yes, Miss. <laughs> yeah, Bonner. I would I would guess that this was a little worse. Um. I I feel like this was always actually way more unsettling to me. I guess I in in the previous book I get really caught up in like the action of all the moments. Yeah. And I don't necessarily stop to think about like how gross it may be. Whereas here all I'm thinking about is a much darker side of like pain and torture and like gore and like grossness with that and so i feel like it is way worse this scene is way worse than any other things that i've seen maybe in all all of cosmere you know and it for me reinforces something i talked about uh in our book wrap-up for mistborn one there is there is no doubt left whatsoever from what i think we've read so far that inquisitors are evil right and like Marsh is the glaring exception to that in that he intentionally like went undercover as an inquisitor. But it's it's scenes like this that just make it explicitly clear these people love torture and pain. It's what they do, it's who they are. It is extremely black and white from a villain standpoint, which again, itty bitty tiny spoilers for elsewhere. Uh, elsewhere in the Cosmere, I feel like that's not true. 
your villains are much more gray. There's much more. Well, but maybe they maybe if you think about it from their perspective, you know, that you ha you can have those kinds of conversations elsewhere here. Like just no, you, you can just bring up the scene and be like, yeah, Inquisitor's bad. Yeah. Elliot, did you pick up on the basement inscription? Um, our, uh, our epigraphs? Yes. Yeah. It was clearly, it, it matched up with some of the epigraphs we've already, already read, which in this book and Mistborn 1 as well, I've, I've been a little bit frustrated by the epigraphs just because even th th they don't give me enough information fast enough. And so when I, when I read them, it's just like, Okay, that's useless. I'll come back and read that when I'm done with the part. Like I have to, you know, finish a whole part and then go back and read all the epigraphs like back to back to even, you know, be able to digest the information because some of them are like a single sentence taken completely out of context. And so it's like I'm just getting kind of fed crumb by crumb what these, you know, inscriptions or journal entries or whatever they are, whatever we're reading. And so it was like, okay, I know what that is. I'm not going to care about that yet because I need more. Yeah, I do feel I do feel the same way that specifically with Mistborn, the epigraphs were clearly written out by Brandon as like a whole thing, and then he kind of just chopped them right. up and put them in front of chapters, yep. as opposed to like strategically put some in certain places. Yeah, ready to talk about Vin and what's going on with Luthadel? Yeah, we can jump. Yeah, there. I, I'm I'm excited to do so. I feel like it also. I don't know if we want to transfer like one like going over to Vin. I feel like she has her own like weird, dark mystery stuff going on too with this whole like mist being and the hey, I'm looking at our outline. Elliot made some mention of like the deepness and, and stuff like that and mm. um, all sorts of things. Uh, if you'll have other stuff we need to talk about in Luthadel first, feel free to go ahead and bring that up. But that's where my mind is with, with Vin at this moment. We, we can talk about this. I, I just wanted to start this off with, I think it's really funny that a perfect descriptor for this, like being in the mist, this mist ghost um, would be mist wraith. However, that term is already taken by a far less daunting creature that's kind of just like a i don't know roving pest out in the out in the mist that eats things that it comes across but the the way i think vin even thinks the think thinks this to herself as well that the only descriptor that matches this besides the logbook from book 1 is a mist wraith um but She's seen mist wraiths and she's not scared of mist wraiths. So our mist ghost is over here burning bronze or however she feels or she's burning bronze to feel the 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 ghost. I think the name of the part is Ghosts in the Mist or something. Like the name of part two. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by this thing, whatever it is. And why Vin has encounters with it and and no one else does. Like why why is Vin different? Is it just cuz she's incredibly powerful? Is it she's more sensitive than our other 
allomancers and she can detect this thing and maybe there's lots of these things and the one assigned to follow Vin around just is the only one that's getting detected at this point. There's also the similarity. I guess the only other person that does detect this thing is the person in the the journal entry yeah. that she's reading. She's going back and rereading those journal entries from the the hero that was supposed to be the hero that we found out in the surprise ending of last book got instead murdered by his Pac-Man and the Pac-Man took the power instead. That journal entry ref- references a similar mist creature. And so Vin's like, well, hold, hold on a second. I, I have that person around me. And so that my mind immediately wants to plug that hole with a question that I've had for a while, which is the deepness. Yeah. Like you said, Paul, or I'm still trying to find something to pin that on. What is what is the deepness? Is it just kind of this ominous pool of dark power, or is it something more personal? Is it a being? Is it a person? Is it a creature? Is it a horde of creatures? Like what is it? It would seem a little odd for it to be like one single mist creature for me. Like deepness seems to imply this either large horde of things or very powerful thing. So I, it doesn't quite seem to fit. Something that I found interesting on my second listen uh, today, actually, was the descriptors that the author of the logbook and Vin use. So Vin always says mist ghost or mist thing, like equates it to the mist. However, the author of the logbook, our original Well of Ascension pursuer, never uses the word mist always uses foggy or smoky and i think that's because the mists don't exist um and so it's it's just a who is whose head we're in type of thing because the mists don't exist back when they're originally trying to find the well of ascension um and the mists are all that vin knows so she's going to equate it to the mist because she sees it in the mist. But the Lord Ruler's other, the, the other Lord Ruler guy does, does not use the word mist. I'm also trying to figure out if this thing is antagonistic to our heroes. Is this an enemy or is it some kind of, not necessarily has a side? being is it just watching is it part of nature is it part of the mist itself is it just kind of a magical being that's following and watching them or is it evil and it's you know trying to attack them or prepare to attack them vin seems to think that it's bad i'm not sure that we've seen it do anything bad through vin's perspective right if it's the same thing that says it is tracking it does seem like it's done some rather bad things, specifically that village that he ends up in that was not a pretty place. Well, and I, I think whatever says it is tracking is specifically targeting Ska, and Ska not in Luthadel, because all of the stories that says it's gathering are from the, the peasant Ska and yep. not 
near the noblemen of in Luthadel or in the other big cities. He's he's talking to the average farmer who is terrified of something that is doing causing havoc. Yeah, I I'm trying to think. I've always thought of him as neutral like this this missed being or whatever more as neutral inherently bad i guess it's it's one of those that i'm like oh it's the mist like i keep bring- you're gonna hear me bring up mystery like 100 times in this episode i keep thinking oh it's like the mystery of it of is it good is it bad is it is it even real is it something that she just like kind of saw or imagined or you know whatnot and i uh you know we'll get to look further into this as time goes on and and stuff but um it's noted specifically in vin's encounter with the the miss spirit because she she like chases after it she tries to catch it or fight it or do something confront it She's been a little reckless sometimes, right? So she just kind of goes after it. And she ends up... I don't remember the details of exactly what happens, but she, like, falls out of a window, and the mist spirit grabs her with its hand, like, physically interacts with her, Yeah. which one I was a little surprised by, that it had corporeal being enough to do that. But then also Vin feels like a cold like a, a chilliness, I think, that she describes when she touches this other, this being. So that almost seems to be hinting at something that I want to talk about in our Stormlight section at the end, because it'll get into some of that type of thing. But that that got my gears spinning. I'm excited for that, because I have no idea what you're referencing. So I'm excited to learn. I'm too. So... Our our new character that shows up, her name is Tindwell, is as they say in the audiobook. Ellie, you got it correct. Um, she immediately, it's immediately apparent that she's very confident in who she is and what she's there to do. Uh, Ellen's kind of scared of her at first. Vin is certainly uh, cautious of her, um, but she's very up front with the fact that she's a keeper, that she can use ferrochemy. She she does it on the very first encounter in front of Ellen. She breaks the little handcuffs they have her in with her, I'm assuming she taps pewter or something and just rips them off. Um, it, it's not spelled out in so many words, but I assume that's what happens. And immediately she starts coaching Ellen even with out his consent or he doesn't even know what's going on. She doesn't even tell him that I'm here to help you until the end of the conversation. She just starts chiding him of stop asking questions, stop slouching, stand up straight, do all these things that all of these Kings in the past have done. Um, she, she's a self-proclaimed biography expert. Um, if if Sazed's mastery is religions, then her mastery is biographies and history uh, of like great generals and kings. So she is here, or she says she's here to help Ellen be a better king. 
as soon as we encounter this character, there was one one actress that immediately pops into my mind. I'd be willing to guess it's similar for for other people, and that's Maggie Smith, who plays like Professor McGonagall oh, in yeah. Harry Potter. She okay. and she plays lots of characters like that, where she's like the demanding like headmistress instructor type don't cross her or you're gonna get you know in trouble that just instantly popped into my mind as my visual my headcanon for this character that was actually a really i really like that connection i imagine i don't actually know if we have a reference on tindall's age 50 but 50 okay are years here the same isn't the life expectancy like lower on average here because of like the ash falling from the sky, that's how my brain works with it. But I don't actually know if that's the case or not. I don't. I don't know about life expectancy, but I am pretty confident that Scadriel is pretty much a one to one of Earth. Scadriel is. Uh, I think Chris. This is our Kingdom Unbounded um, stuff that we did read, but Scadriel is the Cosmere Standard 1, um, which we're told is Earth, so it, with Rashar being like 1.3. So Rashar is bigger than Scadrial. Um Scadrial acts a lot more like Earth, minus the volcanoes everywhere. Okay. Well, I, I guess in my head I pictured her being a little bit younger, but this works so well. Like the McGonagall type of character that very bossy, I guess you could say. You know, uh, really like wastes no time making herself known and her character and her thoughts known. Like wastes absolutely zero time with that. Um, what I'm actually curious. Do y'all do y'all like the character? Do y'all like Tyndall? Because personally, initially I was like, I don't. I was almost not not fully like annoyed like not entirely disliking the character cuz we just met her but i was like i don't know this is kind of kind of obnoxious like i kind of liked ellen i kind of was cool with him doing his thing you know but um so i wasn't the biggest fan but you know i think i was caught a little bit off guard by Tindwell. she she just kind of comes in guns blazing and is very in your face, very challenging Ellen, you know, right off the bat, just, you know, saying, wow, you're really not prepared for this role, are you? And just launching straight into, like you said, not, not dancing around the subject, just getting straight to the, straight to the chase, but yet seemingly to help the heroes, I think, seemingly here to help Ellen get better at handling the, the difficult situation that he's in where he is lacking a bit of that authority and she's here to help him step into that role of being a king where he is wielding the kind of respect that he needs to in this role it it makes me want to like her as a character and that she's jumping into to help in an area that's needed but i guess a little part of me is still a little cautious or suspicious mainly just because of the the timing and the abruptness of how quickly she was kind of thrust into the story yeah that that is that is a good point i like that i i do like tindwell 
simply because it's about time that somebody told Ellen what he should be doing. Finn is very much the, oh, you can lead however you see fit. You're way better at this than I am. I'm I'm not going to advise you at all. Just you, you do your thing and I'll, I'll support you on it. And then the crew actually like docks and breeze um, clubs, you know, the, the inner, the inner circle, they are more skeptical of Ellen, but they also aren't ones to tell him how to do things. They'll, they'll advise him, but then they're also like, well, you're, you're King. You, if you want to do it this way, then that will, we'll go with you. Um, but then they also don't really, respect his authority they kind of just let him do whatever he wants and then they clean things up in the in the background like they're they're his police force um even if the don't they show up to the assembly like the whole the whole crew to soothe and um stuff back in part one like even if these sounds sounds familiar even if these things that Ellen are doing aren't necessarily working, the crew is going to let him do it and then help him accomplish it, even if the policy is not going to really work out. They, they talk about that with the two-army uh, issue that they have, is Ellen yeah. wants to play the two armies off of uh, off of each other, and then a lot of the crew are just saying, we should just resign to set and set you up as a ruler under set um, and he won't kill you. Um, but Ellen's not satisfied with that. So, so Ellen, the, the thought is there for Ellen, but I, somebody needs to be here to get him across the line, I think. I think the other thing I'm a little bit jarred by is just how unlike Sezed, Tindwill is like that's our only reference point we have for Terrace Keeper, and so for another person to come in who's a Terrace Keeper and yet be so not friendly in the opposite way that Sezid is so friendly and helpful. Like, we're so Sezid is so endearing because he was the one who was just like kind to Vin in a time where she was just so terrified of everything. And Sezed's the one's like, oh, yeah, come over here. Let me explain that to you. And Tindwil's just so harsh and demanding. It's just like, whoa, uh, my brain wants them to be similar because they're coming from a similar place. And they're not. I think Ellen has the exact line of in, internal dialogue of, I was expecting Sezed, and this is not Sezed at all. Yeah. Anything else before Zane? Side note about oh, Tyndall and Sazed. I think it's funny that Sazed, he his. I don't think it's it's not in these chapters, but earlier I think he refers to himself as like, he's like kind of. He's kind of an out there. Terraceman, like he he's not, like to us he's a very like refined, orderly, disciplined character. Apparently, according to the Terraceman, he's like a young, wild, free you know, go with the flow kind of character. And I think that's funny. But honestly, saying Tindwell kind of makes sense there because she's very, very orderly, rigid, you know, those kind of qualities. So 
Anyways, that's my only other comment. If you're not following the rules, why the heck are you not? Yeah, exactly. All right, Elliot, what are your first imp impressions of Zane? Uh, yeah, good question. Another character kind of catching me off guard a little bit. We we've seen the Watcher before already. Vin talked to him; he's been present. But we we get way more in chapters seventeen and eighteen, where we discover that the Watcher is Zane. We discover this because Zane arrives as a messenger from Straff Venture, and Vin does the whole like double take of "Wait, I know you," and is all hesitant going into the meeting with the messenger that Straff Venture has sent. Because she recognizes him and is like, "Oh, hold on, that's that's a misborn. Be careful." And then later on, they they even duel. I think in that same chapter again, it's just kind of a, a thing. They just go out and duel each other at night for fun. But then that wasn't even the biggest thing. It wasn't even close to the biggest thing. In chapter eighteen, we jump to Dean's perspective, and so many questions are just flooding me because we find out that. Not only is Zane the Watcher, he is also Ellen's brother, or half-brother, I guess. Yes, half-secret brother, yes. Yeah. And Zane is working directly with Straff Venture, who is his father. We also learn that Zane is very much insane. He refers to himself that way a couple of times. And has a voice in his head that the text, the narrator of the book, if you will, refers to simply as God. And it when it first came through, oh, good question. I think I, I think it is. Okay. Let's check here in a second. I I would bet it. It is. just simply, it just comes in and says, "God said to Zane, kill him, or whatever it is," and it's like. Wait, what? I, I, th this chapter had me, you know, eyes wide, like scratching my, my chin, like what is going on here? I'm getting all kinds of vibes for some other characters I'll compare to in our Stormlight section. But for now, I'll just say this dude crazy. This dude is crazy. Self-proclaimed so. Yes. I um I think this won't come as a big surprise to you, Elliot, but I was really excited when I was introduced to Zane. I if you've watched our Stormlight content, you know that Z Zeth is one of my very favorite characters. Um and I love the once again, I love the mystery, the 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 we the the oddness, the intrigue, the uniqueness of this character. There's obviously something big going on with this character that we don't fully understand. They're just very kind of like on the fringes, like dark, sneaky assassin type character and, and stuff. Yeah. But Zane is definitely like a like the far end of that. You can't I I can't really root for Zane. You know, with Zeth I feel like I had a lot more hope to to hold on to him as a Good, respectable character Zane. I'm like, he's kind of just 
creepy. He, yeah, he's kind of, you're right, he's kind of just creepy and odd and like a s- psycho, like this whole like everyone, you know, who walks by, it says like God said to kill him or whatever. Like, like it's a lot of weird, it's a lot of odd stuff that I don't have an explanation for at all. But Trevor May, actually, I'm actually, this is what I'm most curious about probably to talk with y'all about as we go throughout our story of like, what, what the heck is going on with Zane? You know, Paul just has a soft spot for the edgy, like dressed in black guy in the corner who's not like the other guys and, yeah, he just, just absolutely something, I something yes. about the assassin, assassin guy in the corner who's misunderstood. Yes. yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. That. That's that. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. No, Zane. I agree with you. There's something. My minor storm my spoilers again. Sorry. The that there's something about Zeth that's a little bit more human when you're introduced to him than than Zane, I think. Zane is just so crazy. And the the term is gonna be overused with him, I think, because he hears a voice in his head, but so does Zeth kind of. Like Zeth hears the or Zeth is so sworn to the Oath Stone that he validates all of his actions via this oath stone, which, again, you learn in the prologue of Stormlight. That's not a huge spoiler. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is about Zane that's just not as connected for me. I don't care about Zane hardly at all. <laughs> wow, Zane. Kinda... Zane is very much in the clinically insane category. That the guy does physical harm to himself to try and shut out the voice in his head. Yeah, like it's. Yeah. Th- this is this is the kind of person you find in a padded cell in a in a mental facility. Whereas maybe other characters you might compare to him are are like you know bordering on that, but aren't like they're not textbook mentally unstable. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. It's like very apparent that it's not just like, oh, this character is quirky and unique. This character has voices in his head that it's 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 all sorts. It's it's just you know, a lot of levels of kind of messed up here. And I want to go deeper. I want to go deeper on this, but it it is going to be serious Stormlight spoilers. So I'm gonna, I'm going to hold it for 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 a second here. And and maybe talk briefly about the interaction between Zane and Straff Venture because we see a scene here, which is still continuing with the rather creepy theme of this this episode, I guess, where there's this duel between them, and Zane is just like trying; he's fighting this this inner battle to not kill versus kill his father. He hates him so much. And that that voice in his in his head is is saying kill kill, and Zane even says to himself at some point he's like, of all the times it's hard to resist that voice, this is the most difficult. When the voice tells me to kill Straff and tells me the reasons why Straff deserves to be killed, 
and Zane, you know, fights against that. And yet, in the scene that we see right there, Zane attempts to poison his father with literal poison in his tea. Straff goes and knowingly drinks it on purpose as a power move to say, oh yeah, go ahead, poison me, see what happens. And then as like Zane is leaving, you know, in shock that he just intentionally drank the poison, he has to then like rush in one of his, you know, serving women to come get him the antidote so that he can recover is like, what? No, it is absolutely nuts. And so like you mentioned his relationship to Venture, right? So, so Zane is Ellen's half brother or brother or whatever you want to call it. I don't actually know how that works. I think it's just they're brothers essentially, right? I don't, I don't actually they're know. Both, they're, Ellen... they're both offspring of Straff Venture. We, yes. we can say that. Yes. Exactly. Um, and we have seen a glimpse now of, of Straff Venture and how evil he is and, and how, how brutally evil and the lengths he will go to prove a point and to try and signify dominance over someone. Like you said, like intentionally drinking the poison to try and show his power over that, right? So, all in all, like, you know, understanding that, it maybe makes more sense why Zane is really, you know, has a lot of a lot of mental issues here that we see just off the bat, um, is he was obviously treated incredibly poorly and just a horrible dynamic, you know? He feels like he's a tool who's being ordered to kill by his dad, while his brother, who was, quote, normal, you know, got got to, like, be a son and, and, and have all these things, you know, and stuff. So it, th- there's a lot to unpack there, and it's, it's it, it just gets really crazy there. Just before we open it up for Stormlight and other red spoilers... Elliot, is there anyone else in the story that you can think of that hears voices? Um, did did Kelsey hear, hear voices? Sorry, I'm interrupting Elliot. You asked him the question, but I'm I'm drawing a blank. So any any assistance you've got, I appreciate. I so I'm not going to confirm or deny anything that comes to your brain. I'm just I just want you thinking. <laughs> Have we had anyone who has either consciously or unconsciously heard voices? It this seems like something obvious that I would know off the top of my head if it were if it were the case. So now I'm gonna have to think about that. You alright. But I'm You you can you can brew on that one. I will. Because I'm I'm unsure. I, I thought you might be unsure. All right, Stormlight stuff. Who else in the Cosmere hears voices, gentlemen? This one's an easy one. So, hang on, hang on, hang on. Holding on. Am I repealing repealing my spoilers? Yes. Okay. (laughs) 
I mean, uh, unfortunately, the people that just just left because of Stormlight spoilers, I'm going to go back and, and just talk about Miss Marvel for a second. Um, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about other other characters that have voices in their head in, in a second. But real quick, the, the character that I'm remembering now that I've talked hears voices is is Vin. At least that's the one that's coming to my mind. Yeah, Vin hears Vin hears a voice. Vin hears a voice in her in her mind quite a bit in Mistborn One. Yeah, I don't know that we've seen it in in Mistborn Two here, but it, but the the voice that she hears is given a very specific name. Yes, and it's her brother Reen. Correct. She she hears her brother's Re, her brother Reen's voice in her head all the time, and it's 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 definitely implied that it could just be her memories. Or it could just be, you know, sometimes, you know, she hears her brother's voice in her head because she knows what that's her brother would say in that scenario. But then there's other times where, and I want to say we mentioned this once or twice, where it does almost make you wonder, like, is she literally hearing voices? Because it seems like she might adjust. I, I don't know if that's quite what you were fishing for, but I, I got there. I, I got to that after doing on it 30 seconds there. That that's a fish in the pond. You, yeah. The, that that that's one direction you can go with it and certainly one that um you you can go down. Yeah. I uh, I'm I'm glad you considered that one. Yeah. I'll just do on that on that one some more cuz I I was never quite sure on whether it was oh yeah, it's just her memories versus literal voice in her head, but yeah, I guess now we got more people with voices in their head. So, yeah, maybe we we start drawing some correlations or something like that. Going back to our Stormlight spoiler banner, getting into some pretty pretty hefty Stormlight spoilers. So, if you've not read the you know full Stormlight series, now, now's your chance to to bail. Another character with a voice in his head that says rather similar things to the voice that is in Zane's head is, well, different characters at different times, I suppose, but I, I'm specifically thinking of Zeth and Nightblood. Yep. And how Nightblood, his whole mantra is destroy. What does what does the voice in Zane's head say every time it speaks up that we see here? Kill. It's just everyone he walks past. Oh, kill him. Oh, kill him. Ooh, yeah, that one over there? Take him down. Like, I'm getting strong Zeth Nightblood vibes right now. Maybe Vasher Nightblood? Either way. <laughs> I think that the root point being Nightblood, right? I mean, I guess yes. Nightblood <laughs> is the voice in the head, right? Like, right. Zane has a voice in his head. We don't know if there's anything else that's, like, influencing, the like, who is feeding him these thoughts. Like how Vasher had that right and... Zeth has that right, but it, it, we know it is not. We know it is not like if he took Nightblood away, then that wouldn't be the case, right? So, this is. I mean, I don't know if it's just he has the, like, medically has voices in his head, or if it's like, is this something like that? Like, is is this uh, I don't know, another Nightblood. Who knows? I I don't actually know that we ha we don't have any indicator of like an a, an item he has that could be doing this. So I personally I don't really I don't know 
I don't know what you'd call it. I don't know what. Uh... Excuse me. I'm, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm immediately trying to go down similar thought processes of is this an object he's carrying with him? Is it a being who's talking to him? Is it a missed being? Is it. I can never get my brain off of Spren because that's where we started on Roshar and we right. constantly experienced like spirit beings as as spren i'm immediately thinking like oh what does he what does he have a bond with like who's who's in his you know his head having a conversation with him i'd probably not even not the right you know thought train to be to be going down along the night blood train of thought though the the text specifically refers to this voice in his head as god capital g god zeth we've theorized before we don't really know exactly what zeth is at this point, we have, we have a lot of guesses. We we know a lot about what Z Nightblood does. What is Nightblood? I'm not sure that we've answered that question yet. One thing we've theorized is Nightblood a shard. Yeah. Like we've talked about that. Is could Nightblood be one? Or I think we even talked about at one point more than one shards yeah. involved in the whole Nightblood thing. Well, the fact that the voice in Zane's head is being referred to as God immediately leads me down the is this a shard and it's it's tenuative ten, tenuous links i think just because i'm drawing too many lines to too many different things with nightblood in the picture there and crazy wild theories we have about that and god could mean a lot of things it could be just that's what zane thinks the voice in his his head is right and it could just be a spren or a, who knows but my immediate question was, is it a being like Nightblood or with Nightblood level of powers with a, you know, one track mind bent on something specific that they embody like a shard? Yeah. My, my less apples to apples comparison to come at you here, um, specifically harping on the phrase or on the word God which Elliot, I think this is funny that you're approaching this from the opposite direction as most people. Um, because when you hear the word God in the Cosmere, you think shard. Whereas most people reading this in publication order would have no idea what that term means. But I'm also in this boat. I read Stormlight first and going to Mistborn second. So when I read this, Rhythm of War had not come out yet. And I went to what Dalinar goes through in Oathbringer. If you remember in Dalinar flashbacks, he hears the voices of all the people in the Rift that he killed haunting his dreams. And he goes to alcohol to handle it. And you could write that up as trauma or whatever however at the end of oathbringer it specifically said that odium has been grooming dalinar since he was a youth making him he do well hold on <laughs> influencing his actions to get him to do certain things and so that's where my brain went when i was introduced to zane was God is telling me to kill anything I see. Okay, I just read 
Oathbringer, which Dalinar has been groomed since he was a youth to be bloodthirsty and this war tyrant and raised the rift to the ground. And then he hears voices in his head that he drowns out. And that's all tied to Elliot, what you're saying, shard the God Odium. I made that connection when I first read this. And as I think about this, I bet the direction maybe a, a first-time Mistborn-only reader might go at this would be, if we're taking this in the context of Scadriel, like, who have we seen referred to as God before? The Lord Ruler right. was God. Right. So I, I could see a, a, a less Cosmere-aware reader going that direction is, is this somehow tied to the Lord Ruler is saying a very religious person and just attributes the voice in his head to the most powerful being he knew of, which was the Lord Ruler, which he's referring to as God or something like that. Go that direction with it would be another way to go. Is kind of shifting back to point A, is Nightblood as unhinged in Warbreaker as he is in Oathbringer Rhythm of War? Because... In, in Stormlight, all we see him say is destroy evil. That guy's got evil in him. Let's go kill him. And Seth's like, be quiet. I know what I'm doing. Um, is he that unhinged in Warbreaker? I think so. He All he says is, you should draw me. Mm -hmm. You should draw me. And, you know, and the whole stick of that's evil. You know, this person's evil and stuff like that. And we need to kill him. I'm pretty sure it's the exact same. Okay. I think the opening scene, the first time we ever see Nightblood, Vasher just like leaves him on the ground with a bunch of guards in a in a prison. Yeah. And they all murder each other because of the voice of of Nightblood. Something to that effect. So I, I'm with Paul. I think the answer is yes. Yeah. So then, then I could go back to. Is there some artifact on Zane's person that he maybe not even know exists that somebody planted on him or something? It seems I'm going to get a little meta on you here. That seems too similar. It seems rather unlikely to me that Brandon would write the exact same thing in two different stories. Right. And so that that fact alone makes me guess it's not an object. It's not an a, a sentient sentient weapon that he's carrying because that would just be too similar. Like why, why write the same thing on in two different places in your world? It's gotta be something different at least slightly. Yeah. Okay. Un unless uh, again, we're go going upstream and Nightblood is just a reference to this. Fair. Nightblood is kind of hard to conceal though. Yeah, Nightblood's like a six-foot black glowing sword. He can't really... Uh... <laughs> also, I mean, this gets into some weird cross-cosmere type stuff. Nightblood, a metal? Like that? That Ooh. changes the game. If Nightblood is made of metal, like, does Nightblood even interact with stuff on Scadrial? I'm sure somebody's asked this question. I'm going to look it up. Um, do you want to go down your last bullet point there while I look this up? 
Sure. And, and this will actually tie in a little bit to, to what we're talking, although from a, a very different angle. I wanted to talk a little bit more about this mist being and Vin's interaction with it. She chases it down, has physical contact with it, and she feels a chill, a coldness. And I can't for the life of me remember if we've seen that specific description somewhere else in the Cosmere. I've read enough. We've read enough stories now that things are starting to blur a bit in my in my brain. But when I when I hear touching something and feeling cold, my brain immediately goes to transfer of energy. If you touch something hot or you touch something cold, you're you're transferring energy. And I'm a, a book and a third into this series now, and still on the hunt for where's my investiture. Again, coming from Roshar, coming from Stormlight, we've we've gotten an understanding of how magical powers work in the Cosmere. We've gone to other planets. We've seen how magic is different elsewhere, but it pretty exclusively comes back to some type of source of magical energy, which is investiture, right? So I'm looking for that on Scadrial. Still haven't really found it. But this moment right here kind of piqued my interest because it seemed like a transfer of energy. It is this mist being sucking the the investiture out of Vin. That would feel like a coldness. I don't know if it's been described like that as Kaladin ever described it like that or something like that, but that's where my, my mind went. I kind of pulling the thread further though, come across even more questions because I can't even ask that question. I can't even go down that that path of is investiture transferring out of Vin without even asking, answering the question of, well, is she even invested to begin with? Right. I, I think of an investiture from, again, like a stormlight thing where you suck in stormlight, you house the investiture in yourself, and then you spend it. it is Vin even doing that? It is, does she even have investiture in her body, or is the metal the investiture? Well, is... And it also begs the question, sidetrack to the ghost bloods real quick. The whole goal of the ghost bloods is we need to get where we want to get Stormlight off Roshar because Stormlight's really easy to get off yeah. Roshar. Well, if the investor was in the metal, why aren't you just going to Scadrail and picking up a gold bar? Like, why? Exactly. It's not going to fade like Stormlight will. Why are you so obsessed with Stormlight when you could just go grab some metal if if the investiture's in or, the metal? Or go grab metal anywhere and bring it to Roshar and imbue it and now you're good. Or right. pick up metal anywhere in the Cosmere and you there it is in your hand. Like, yeah, it doesn't quite it doesn't quite make sense. Right. Where where the heck is the investiture on Scadrial? I know the two of you are just going to nod your heads and go, hmm, yes, exactly, interesting question. Exactly what I'm doing. Hmm, yes, I wonder where it is. So uh, I, I'm not expecting answers, but I got started have a big old question. Where the heck is the investiture? Oh, well, there's been on this to spoil even another book that we just read, Yumi. So in Yumi Nightmare Painter, which we just read, we get a nice little lecture from design over there on sure and they talk about you know the shroud this big cloud of soupy raw investiture well and now in this book i've got a mist like 
cloud-like creature thing that interacts with Vin and seems like maybe Investiture is involved, I want to immediately jump to, like, the Investiture is in the mist. And so I want to I want to draw connections there. Like, is right. the creature we've been talking about an invested being, an invested entity, I think is the name mm-hmm. that sometimes, you know, refer to those types of creatures, beings, things. The, so I'm, I'm going down that line of thought, too. Does she see the mist spirit in book one at all? I don't think so, but that could easily be something that went underneath my notice. I don't think she does. No, I think we just start to see mention of it in part one, right? Is it, ooh, is it mentioned in uh, assuming it's the same thing, is it mentioned in the blog book in book one? Or is that like added in book two? I think it is mentioned in the log book in book one. I didn't notice it in in book one of Mistborn here. I noticed for the first time when Vin is digging into the logbook to learn about it. But that's easily something that could have been mentioned in the first one, and I'm paying attention to other things at the time, and and it didn't, you know, jump out to me. Interesting. Because if it is mentioned in book one, then I would... I'm actually really curious because if it's not mentioned in book one, then I would then equate it to it has something to do with the Lord Ruler because that's the common denominator, which would then yeah. lead me down the deepness path that you talked about where earlier in this episode, Elliot, is the, is this the deepness that we're talking about? Um, this yeah. being in the mist. Um, interesting. Hmm. As Paul said, mysteries. Lots of them. I, I I did find a relevant question for Brandon to to close us out here. Okay, you ready? Hit me. Did Nightblood's awakening transform it into a metal? And Brand and the answer is hesitant. Yes, you could say that. And then the question is. the question is followed up by Adam on the live stream was it a permanent change from something previous or was it just a a physical change and he he says you could argue that Nightblood is changed into a metal you could also argue otherwise how about that thanks Brandon thanks Thanks for the non-answer, Brandon. He's he's very good at non-answers. Oh my goodness. I, I had to read that one aloud for you guys to share in the non-answer for you. You're welcome. Because I read that and I was like, okay. Cool. <laughs> I I can think of a dozen dozen other questions spinning in my mind. I know the answer to every single one of them is is Raffo. Is we just, we just gotta keep reading. I feel like we, with this being such a prevalent part of this story, surely we're we're heading to answers in this book or or the next. So I think I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to a few of my questions. If I don't get answers, like you know, by the center lynch of this book, then we'll I'll start pulling them out. But I think we just got to keep reading. Sounds good. Let's reconvene next. Unless you have anything, Paul. That's all. Okay. Let's reconvene next week. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. 
Yeah, next time. Sayonara.